It's not 9.15 yet, so we can't start. What's that? <laughs> All right, it's 9.15. We can start now. All right, it is... No Whoa. That's, that's on. All right. Um, it is 9.15, so let's go ahead and pray and get started. Lord, we thank you for this day and for the time to gather and to be with your people. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law, to understand the gospel uh, better and to uh, live out of it, uh, to be fueled by it in our own hearts and lives as believers, and then also to proclaim it as we have opportunity. And Lord, we do pray that you would you would um, continue to grow our souls deeper in the gospel and also grant repentance um, to those who do not yet know you. Thank you for this time this morning as we look at the resurrection in your name. Amen. So we are looking through, um, we're, we're in the series of gospel life where we're We've been saying it all along, right, that the, that the gospel is not just something you, you do once to enter the Christian life, but it's the soil into which you're growing your roots deeper because it fuels the whole Christian life. And so we've been just talking about, you know, what's the good of the good news? It's God himself. The gospel is ultimately meant to lead us to God himself. We've been talking about what are, what are the components of the gospel, right? We talked about that overview of what's the core. It's uh, really what 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 talks about, right, that, that uh, Christ died for sinners. He was buried, he rose again, and he was seen, right? Um, those, that's the core, like if you were to outline the basics uh, core of the gospel message. And really, we've been just marching through each one of those. So we've been talking about the sinfulness of sin. We need to understand that before we, that and judgment before we need to talk about um, Christ's death. And so the last couple times we've been talking about Christ's death and specifically the idea of the atonement, what does that mean, uh, and how does that work? And now we work into the next portion, which is the resurrection, um, which if you read Acts at, at any great length, you're going to see that the resurrection is vital in proclamation of the gospel. And sometimes we forget that. We focus so much on the death of Christ, the atonement, which is uh, the, the core in a sense, but uh, you can't do that without the resurrection. And so what we want to talk about this morning is why is the resurrection important? And so there's multiple reasons. I think I've got about maybe um, eight to ten reasons at the very least, and there's probably more, why the resurrection is important in relation uh, to the gospel message. So we're going to, like, like what we do, I've got several passages. We're going to read them. We're going to see what we see there, and we're going to um, draw some conclusions from it. But to get us started, let me go ahead and just read the resurrection account, or at least one of them, uh, in Matthew 28. I'll start in verse 1, going through verse 10, just to get our minds uh, thinking about the event, and then we want to talk about the significance of that event. So, Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is Risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So there's an account of the resurrection itself. But now, if that's the event, it happened, right? We know the resurrection happened, but what we want to understand, why is it important? What's the significance of it? So let's think about the first reason uh, why the resurrection is important. And for that, we've seen the event itself, but what's its significance? Well, the epistles and other, uh, other parts of the New Testament reflect on that. Let's go ahead and someone read Romans 4. Turn over to Romans and someone read Romans 4, 19 through 25. 
whenever anyone's got it, then you can just go ahead and read four, Romans 4, 19 through 25. Through 25. Okay, so we're talking about Abraham and Abraham's faith, even in the face of seemingly impossible possibilities, right? But then it transitions, Paul transitions to say, uh, but those, it was counted him for righteousness was not just written for his sake, it's for ours as well. And then he outlines, okay, what are you, what are you trusting in? And specifically, he mentions the resurrection, but in, in what does he say the significance of the resurrection here is? Okay, so that's, that's talking about Jesus' death, right? So he's betrayed, he's handed over the atonement, he's delivered over for, to die for sin, but then in re- reference to being raised up, raised up for what purpose? Justification. justification, right? Which is interesting. We, don't, we normally tie justification, being declared righteous by God, through the death itself, which is definitely true, but here Paul specifically links uh, justification to the resurrection, now, it's not immediately obvious, um, you know, why is that? Why, why, why would the resurrection be tied to justification, being declared righteous in the sight of God? Or maybe another way to frame it, if Christ wasn't raised, why would our justification fail? Yeah, you're seeing that, that um, if Christ died for sinners, right, in the place of sinners, and if he stayed dead, well, then how do we know? Uh, did, did he actually pay for everyone's sin, right? Um, or is he just another man? There's no, there's, and there's no, it's not something, you can't, you're not sure, right? But because of the resurrection itself, it shows that, um, Christ's sacrifice was accepted, it was complete, uh, and uh, uh, therefore, when we put our faith in Christ, right, we know we're putting it in something solid, because he has been raised from the dead, uh, which, you know, he's dealing with our sins, but then he's showing that he paid for them totally, and so in a very real way, the resurrection is for our justification, right, our being declared righteous um, before God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Old Testament talks about uh, the resurrection uh, from, from the dead. Uh, another kind of angle on this, turn over to Romans 8. Uh, in Romans 8, and uh, let's start, I'll start reading in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So there's reference to his death. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge? So now we've got legal terms going on here. Against God's elect. It is God who justifies, declares righteous. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So here's another angle on this, right? What specifically is the resurrection tied to here in terms of significance? Mm-hmm. Exactly, right? So if we talk, we've talked about this before, right? Christ is the one mediator between God and man, 1 Timothy 2, right? He's the God-man, so he can lay his hand on humanity, and he can lay his hand on God, so to speak, and he is the one person who can do that. Well, if he stayed dead, there is no mediator. There is no mediator. There is no one to intercede 
between us and God. You can't go to God apart from a mediator, right? And if Christ stayed dead as the God-man, uh, there is no one to inter- intercede. You can think about it this way, right? And we'll talk about this more, I think, in a couple uh, a week or two, about when we, when we talk about the call of the gospel, you're, you're calling people to entrust themselves not to a set of doctrines. I mean, you need to believe stuff, but you're entrust, calling someone to entrust themselves to a person. If the person is dead, there's no, there's no, um, there's no validity there. There, there there's, a, there's no mediator, right? So that's why the resurrection is significant. You, when someone, you call someone to trust in Christ, you're calling them to have dealings with that one mediator who has been resurrected. If he's not resurrected, you don't have a mediator. You can't deal with God. You don't have a mediator to be able to do that. Any questions or comments? On, on that idea. So the, what we're saying here is that the resurrection secures our justification before God, right? Because of what it showed, but also because of Christ's intercession uh, as mediator and as high priest. Questions or comments on that? Absolutely. Good. Okay, so that's, that's, that's I, I try to list these in some order of kind of, I don't know if relative importance is the right way to put it, but just significance to what we've talked about. We've talked about Christ's atonement, but that has to be connected with the resurrection because the resurrection itself is, is uh, really is what ultimately secures justification before God. Uh, both, it's a both and, but it's that punctuation mark uh, that shows that Christ's work is finished. Connected to this, we could look at another reason. Um, so f- let's say 1 Corinthians 15. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, one of the great passages on speaking about the resurrection. Long section about speaking of the resurrection. And we talked about this at Easter, this particular passage. Uh, but someone go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. Okay, so what, how does, what is this, the significance of the resurrection drawn out in these verses? Why did, or another way to say that, why is the resurrection necessary according to these verses? Yeah, that's exactly it, right? Without the resurrection, Christianity is stupid and futile. It doesn't make any sense, right? Uh, because then we're just living for this life. It's just another philosophy, um, Without it, right, Christianity is futile, right? So, yeah, yeah, right, because the, 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 the message, I mean, we saw the event in Matthew itself, right, but you see that in Acts, the proclamation of the gospel. It's always the proclamation of the resurrection. We're saying this is what God did. God raised Christ. Uh, he accepted the sacrifice, right? And so then you're, you're lying uh, if, if uh, you know, the resurrection isn't real. It didn't happen uh, you're misrepresenting God, right? But ultimately, for the reasons we even said with regard to justification, if the resurrection is not real, it's, it's Christianity is futile. So the Christianity really hangs on the resurrection. Yeah, Tony. Yeah, yeah, and very much so. So he's he's speaking in First Corinthians. He's speaking to to a Gentile Greek audience, and they just the, they abhorred the idea of 
uh, of the body, right? It's that Platonistic idea that the body is evil, it's a prison for the soul, uh, and so if you want to actually uh, achieve immortality, the, 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 you know, the, after, the, the, the proper afterlife, you actually want your soul to be freed from the prison of your body, right? And so the Corinthians are like, why are you talking about a resurrection? We don't like that, right? That's, that's no good, because what the resurrection means is it's inherently physical, right? It's not a, it's not a, a, a immaterial reality. It's a physical reality that, that is happening, right? And so the Greeks are like, no way. And then Paul is at length in chapter 15 to argue, no, the gospel hangs, the gospel and Christianity hang or fall on the resurrection. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. If there is no resurrection of the dead, it doesn't matter, right? Like, you might as well, there's no, um, you might as well live it up. And Paul says that later, so, yeah. Good. Let's keep uh, moving. So, uh, let's go back to Romans. Um, so, let's see another facet. Uh, so, we've seen resurrection secures justification before God. Without it, Christianity is futile. Let's see another reason. Uh, turn over to Romans 6. Uh, Romans 6, 1 through 11. So, Okay, so what is, with reference to, there's a lot that's being said here, right? But with reference to the resurrection, what is the point that Paul is making? What's the significance? Yeah. Yeah, so the resurrection, um, the, the, the principle that's going on here in Romans 6 is that there's this idea, really, really critical idea in Christianity, the idea of union with Christ, right? Just like... Uh, all humanity, because of that Adamic covenant, is united with Adam initially. We're all in Adam. What Christ has done in initiating the new covenant is where, as uh, when, we, when we come to him by faith, right, and trust ourselves to him, we're entrusting ourselves to him as our covenant head, right, and we're in union with him. And that has broad implications, right? It, that's what allows God to count uh, your old self dead, which is very much in view here, but then also because of what Christ has done in resurrection, right? This newness of life, not just not physically, yes, but also spiritually, right? That principle of resurrection, that principle of new life means that uh, we have newness of life. We are dead to sin and alive to God, right? We don't have to sin anymore. That's really uh, a lot of what's going on here in Romans 6. You don't have to sin anymore. As a believer, you don't. You don't have to sin anymore. Uh, because you're united with Christ, and so you're united with his death, and you're united with resurrection. You can walk in newness of life. Uh, questions or further comments on that idea? That's, that's critical. That's crucial. So if everything we've been talking about so far is more about on the justification side, this, this has significant bearing for the sanctification and the progressive growth of a believer. Critical, crucial. Uh, yeah, Mike. Yeah. 
right? Because of the resurrection, because Christ rose from the dead. Yeah, and Julie. There's a real effect that's happened because you're united with Christ, right? You, it, and we've been saying this. It's not just a legal transaction. It is that, but it's also, it, it does something to your nature, right? Because of the resurrection, right, you are into newness of life, which means, right, when we are, te- what, what Romans 6 talks about, this is fundamental to sanctification. When you are tempted to sin, it's freeing to start with the reality, no, I am in Christ, I am a new creation because of what Christ has done, because of his resurrection life that's in me, therefore, I don't have to sin. As much as the old man whispers in your ear and says, you know, you have to, you don't, right, because of what Christ has done in his death and resurrection and being united with him, so... Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, uh, it's, resurrection secures our justification before God. Without it, Christianity is futile. Uh, it gives us a hope of a newness of nature. Really, that's what we've been talking about from Romans 6. Uh, here's uh, another one. Let's see another one. Acts 17. Acts 17, 30 through 31. So, Paul, Paul here is in Athens, the center of philosophy. He goes up in the Areopagus. He's making this big uh, speech uh, with uh, kind of the preliminaries for the gospel in a lot of ways. Um, but he's, uh, he's talking about this, and he makes this comment in 1730-31. Someone go ahead and read that. Yeah, so what's the significance in this context of the resurrection? Yeah, yeah, the, the resurrection, and it kind of even goes back to us a little bit of what Rachel was saying, right? The, the resurrection shows that um, Christ will judge, right? He is the judge. We talked about that earlier, right? That Christ is the, going to be the judge of all men. Everyone is resurrected physically, right? The just and the unjust are resurrected physically, but, um, and he's given assurance that by Christ's resurrection, here's the judge, he's resurrected, he's going to judge those who will be resurrected in the future, right? But that's, all, that's, for those who are not in Christ, that's scary, right? Uh, and for those who are in Christ, that's good, that's good news, right? Um, because he's going to deal with injustice. He will deal with injustice because he has resurrected from the dead, he's ascended on high, he will come again um, to deal with with unrighteousness in the world, which is encouraging. We see much unrighteousness in the world, right? And yet he will come and he will, he will judge. So, yeah. The thoughts on that one? Yes. And the idea of a repentance, I'll get to you, Tony, um, uh, uh, is I like this phrase because it says he commands everyone where to repent. That's our, that's our warrant for proclaiming the gospel to everyone, right? If Christ is king and he's the ultimate judge, then it's not a question of I'm coming to you and I'm going to try to bargain with you to come to faith. It's, no, this is the command of the king, repent. Uh, it's the exact same thing we've been seeing in Matthew. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Christ doesn't bargain, right? He offers amnesty graciously, right? Um, and, and we know uh, this is the framework, right? Because he's going to come and judge, and we know that's true because he has been raised from the dead. So, Tony, you were going to say something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Because, you know, a tyrant is God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's gonna judge uh, with justice, not just capriciously, but with justice. Yeah. Good. All right. Let's. Uh, so we've seen um, the resurrection secures justification before God. Without it, Christianity is fruitful. It gives hope. Fruit. Food. Futile. There we go. Um, it gives the hope of newness of nature. Uh, it gives assurance of Jesus' future judgment of the world. Uh, and then let's look at. We're gonna look at three texts for this next one. But let's start in 1 Peter. Uh, so 1 Peter um, 1, uh, 1, 3 through 5. So someone go ahead and read 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. So what is the significance of the resurrection in this passage? I heard it. Yeah, an imperishable inheritance, right? Verse uh, 3, you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to a dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, right? So we might say it this way, the resurrection secures an imperishable inheritance, right? It it shows that, you know, to tie this in with 1 Corinthians 15, it shows that we are going to be physically resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15 also talks about how that's going to renew our bodies, right? A glorified body, a glorified nature, right? But what Christ has done, 1 Corinthians 15, we talk about in terms of first fruits, uh, what has happened to Christ will happen to us. He's gone ahead, right? Um, and uh, we, but it, that idea of him securing an imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance, right? So the resurrection gives us that, that hope, yeah. Um, and I was going to look at a couple other texts, but I think, I think we can actually move ahead. Uh, this, is, this is one of the best texts for this, that idea of him securing through his resurrection the internal inheritance. Any other thoughts or questions on that idea? Okay, so Resurrection secures justification before God. Without it, Christianity is futile. Uh, it gives us the hope of the newness of nature. It gives us assurance of Jesus' future judgment of the world. Uh, it secures for us an imperishable inheritance. Uh, let's look at another one, Acts. And we said that the, you see in Acts a lot of the proclamation of the resurrection, Acts uh, 2, 25 to 32. So this is Peter's speech at Pentecost, his sermon at Pentecost, his proclamation, and he makes this point in the middle of it, Acts 2, 25 through 32. Okay, 
So it talks about Christ's resurrection. He's actually quoting uh, Psalm 16 as evidence for that. Um, but what is the significance that Peter is drawing out in his sermon for what the resurrection does? Okay, yeah, and even more specifically, which promise? Okay, but there's a specific, uh, specific promise that's in the Old Testament that um, uh, Peter is drawing a connection with. He's drawing a connection between uh, the significant promise in the Old Testament and the resurrection. Which promise is it? Okay, look at verse 30. Yeah, which is, what, what, what is that? Yeah, fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Remember all the covenants we talked about, right? And one of the key ones, kind of the covenant to rule them all, is the Davidic covenant, right? The one that is going to set uh, the ultimate king, God's chosen king, over uh, the throne of Israel, but not only Israel, but all the nations of the world, right? And, and God had promised to David and to his offspring, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to establish your kingdom forever. I'm going to set one of your descendants on the throne, right? Well, how is that ultimately secured? It's secured through the resurrection, right? Christ dies uh, to be uh, the mediator of the new covenant, to secure the new covenant uh, as the Davidic, uh, the Davidic king who is the new covenant's mediator, uh, but then he raises from the dead so that he can reign on that throne, right? He will one day reign on that throne, uh, connected with the ideas of judgment, uh, reigning, all of that stuff in the future because of the resurrection, right? It's kind of like he's he's the king, right? He hasn't taken up that reign uh, yet. He will in the future, um, but what secures that is, is the resurrection. What secures the resurrection, which has implications for the whole world, right? We want the righteous king on the throne in Israel, reigning over not only Israel, but the whole nation's injustice, and so the resurrection secures that, so it makes it significant, yeah. Any questions or comments on that? All right. So, uh, resurrection is significant because it secures justification before God. Without it, Christianity is futile. Uh, it gives the hope of newness of nature. It gives assurance of Jesus' future judgment of the world. It secures an imperishable inheritance. It keeps the promise to David that one of his descendants will sit upon his throne forever to reign. In other words, it fulfills the Davidic covenant. And then let's look at another one. 2 Corinthians 1, 8, and 9. Okay, so this one's maybe a little bit more uh, abstract in a way, but, but Paul's drawing a significance from the resurrection. What significance is he drawing? Yeah, uh, or Ashley, I think you were going to say something. Oh, I saw your mouth open. Yeah, so um, yeah, it's... What circumstances is Paul in in this passage, or he's describing anyway? Yeah, they're crushed. They're I mean, they're they're in some dire straits, right? They're they're crushed. They feel uh, oppressed, afflicted because of a variety of reasons, right? Uh, so we might describe them as crushing circumstances, and yet he can endure. Why? Because he looks to the resurrection. He knows no matter what happens, right? Even though I feel like I'm being crushed under these circumstances, uh, I, doesn't, uh, I can endure them because I can endure them looking to the resurrection, right? So that's very practical, right? We, we encounter situations in life, maybe not as severe as what Paul is experiencing, but no matter what those circumstances are, right, we feel like we're going to be crushed, destroyed, our lives are going to be ended, uh, but, uh, or at least hampered in some way, right? But what do we look to? As Christians, we have the hope of the resurrection, which allows us to persevere in hope, in, in confidence. So, yeah. Any uh, other thoughts on, on that one?
Okay, so resurrection secures justification before God. Without it, Christianity is futile. It gives the hope of newness of nature. It gives assurance of Jesus' future judgment of the world. It secures an imperishable inheritance. It keeps the promise to David that one of his descendants will sit upon his throne forever to reign. It gives confidence in God despite crushing circumstances. And then we could look at another one. The last two we're going to spend in 1 Corinthians uh, 15. We'll go back there. Um, Dave Knowles, can I have you read 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 57? There's a lot going on in the passage, right? But uh, what do we see some of the significance of the resurrection that Paul is bringing out here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what he's, he's, still, he's still talking about a physical resurrection, right? But like he says earlier in 15, right, Christ is the first fruits. So we think about Christ's resurrected body, right? It was, it was human, right? But it was also glorified, right? It was spirit-empowered, spirit kind of clothed, so to speak, right? It's, it's got that, uh, and so that's what he means by a spiritual body. Like Christ, after his resurrection, that's the kind of body that we get, right? So it's not, it's not just that we're going to be resuscitated, right? Like, like Lazarus. Lazarus was resurrected, right? He was resuscitated, but he died again. Right? He didn't have a glorified body. Um, but here, what we see is the hope of the resurrection. If Christ is the first fruits, we get the same kind of human body that he had, right? A spiritual uh, human body. It's still physical, right? But it's, uh, it's, it's energized, so to speak, um, by, by God. It's glorified is the way we, we say that, right? And even you see that, we come back to the idea of union, right? Just as we have been united with Adam, the man of dust, now we're united to the new Adam, Right? We're going to bear his 
image, right? That idea of image, that's a key language you see in the Old Testament, right? God created man in his, as his image, in his likeness, right? Everyone bears that image in Adam, and then, but with Christ, the second Adam, we bear his image, the, the sort of glorified, uh, uh, perfect humanity that God um, had designed from the beginning, and the resurrection secures that. So it's not just resuscitation, um, but that's not what the resurrection does. It's also transformation. Uh, it's, it's a physical body, but it's also glorified. It's transformed uh, in a proper capacity uh, to enjoy God forever, right? What does the gospel do? The good of the good news is to bring us to God himself, right? We can't do that uh, in this flesh, right? This decaying, corrupted flesh, which is affected by sin. So we need the resurrection of Christ to be able to allow us to enjoy God in, um, in his presence for eternity. Any questions, comments, or further things in this passage that you're seeing? There's a lot there, so. Okay. Last one, 1558. So the very last verse in this section. What's he say? Okay, so he draws a conclusion to all of what he just said, right? Therefore, and the therefore is what? Persevere, work hard, right? And don't be discouraged that your labor is in vain. Why? Ultimately, because of the resurrection, right? That uh, what you do now, like you think about Ecclesiastes. I always think when I think of Ecclesiastes, I always think about this verse, right? Because what does... Solomon, right, in Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, right? Uh, everything here, it's, it's real, but it's transitory. It's like a soap bubble. Uh, it's like smoke. You can't grasp it in your hands, right? And so he's struggling. Solomon's struggling with life under the sun, a cursed fallen life. It's, it's vaporous. It, 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 it slips through your fingers, right? Uh, it feels like nothing you do means anything, makes any difference, right? But this, because of the resurrection, right, we know there's continuity between what we do now as believers in Christ and what happens after, right? Your, your labor is not in vain. Why? Because of the resurrection, because what Christ has done in securing for us that eternal inheritance, which is encouraging, right? So when we think about, I, I struggle with this often, right? It's like nothing I'm doing matters. It doesn't matter, right? Because I'm going to die. The people I'm talking to are going to die, right? It doesn't matter. But it's like, no, this verse says it does matter because of the resurrection, right? So it just gives us another significance to the resurrection, okay? So resurrection secures justification before God. Without it, Christianity is futile. It gives hope for the newness of nature. It gives assurance of Jesus' future judgment of the world. It secures an imperishable inheritance. It keeps the promise to David that one of his descendants will sit upon uh, David's throne forever to reign. It gives confidence in God despite crushing circumstances, shows that we will not be merely revived but transformed. It ensures that our labor as Christians is not in vain, right? And there's many more we could probably add, right? So the resurrection is significant. Uh, we need to think about it often as believers, right? Because we want to apply these gospel truths to ourselves. And then even as we're proclaiming the gospel, the resurrection is essential to include within it. Uh, what kind of closing, closing thoughts and questions you guys have on the resurrection? Yeah, Mike. Yeah, he's, he's promised fullness of life, and he's going to give all of, all of that because of what Christ has done in the resurrection. Yeah, yep. Anything else on the resurrection in general or anything we've looked at? And that closing verse, the end of the history is the word knowing. Mm. Mm-hmm. That gives us assurance because so often our flesh wants to feel like I'm insecure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we live in an age and in a culture that looks to itself 
and to its feelings and experiences to validate everything, right? We, we live in the, the age of the expressive individual, of the autonomous self, right? And of the, the, the my feelings justify what I, what I do and how I act, right? But like Eden's saying, it's not about what you feel, right? A lot of times we have to combat what we feel, right? Because it's not based on what the truth is, right? That's why we come back to Revelation, God's revelation in the scriptures. We, we, we need to know these things. And it's right. Uh, so often, um, the Bible is so much oriented around identity. Who are you? Uh, who has God made you? What has God done? Uh, and if you understand that, you know that, you believe that, you trust yourself to God for that, that's the basis out of which you live your life and your Christianity. Back to Romans 6, right? My identity as one who is in union with Christ means that I do not have to sin. And the mere fact of knowing that, that I don't have to sin as a believer, um, gives me strength, gives me help, uh, among other things, to fight sin when I'm tempted with it. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else? Yep. 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 That is one of the most central, and at least in our time, we've, we've, for a long time, we really lost that idea of the, the doctrine of the union with Christ, right? Which is so critical to everything. It's everything that happens in salvation and in the gospel is based on that idea that we are united with Christ through faith. Uh, we, just like we are in union with Adam, our first covenant head, right? When you entrust yourself to Christ, you are in union with Christ, uh, your new covenant head, right? And th- out of that flows the reality that you can be justified, that Christ's death can be accounted to you. If there's no union, it doesn't make any sense that someone would die, and how, is that, how does that affect me at all, right? But because there's a union with Christ, uh, why would someone raising the, for the dead have any implications for me? Well, it does because I'm in union with Christ. Why is the fact that I'm going to inherit a kingdom uh, or part of a kingdom in the future, have a share in that, in my inheritance in the future, how do I know that that's true? Well, because Christ is inheriting a kingdom and he, I'm in union with him, right? It's all based on that core idea of union with Christ, which is expressed in the New Testament with a lot of these innocuous-sounding prepositional phrases, in him, in whom in Christ, right? That's, that's where you see that doctrine of union with Christ showing up. So, um, yeah, Julie. Hmm. Oh, right, yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's, it's what he has done transfers to me, right? Um, the only thing that we contribute to our own salvation is the sin that makes it possible. Someone said that, right? And I, uh, it's a nice way of saying it, right? We don't, we don't, we're not ascetics, right? That think that, uh, well, if I 
do whatever to the body, that that somehow makes, makes salvation possible, yeah. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll transition. So, Father, we, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the resurrection. Lord, you said in John uh, 10, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord, and I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again, this charge I've received from my Father. What a glorious truth. Thank you, Holy Trinity, that you have planned this that you have executed it, and it's real. We've seen it. We have objective reality of your resurrection that we can look forward to, and it gives us so much hope. Lord, help us to preach that to our hearts, the, that aspect of the gospel, um, to ourselves daily, and also to those with whom we have the privilege of sharing. Lord, we do ask that just as you've granted us resurrection life spiritually, and in the um, and, and in, in finality, uh, the the the. the the renewal of our bodies, the renewal of everything, uh, Lord, we, we pray that others besides ourselves would also experience that, that as we have received grace, that those around us in this community would also receive that grace of resurrection life. Lord, we know that is your desire, and we pray for it, and we pray for boldness uh, to call for repentance, um, even as you've been preaching in Matthew, as we saw Paul talk about, that you command people to repent, and we ask that you would give us boldness and courage uh, to proclaim that to others because of the reality of the resurrection. We thank you for this time this morning. Prepare our hearts for, for singing, for hearing your word, for praying uh, during uh, the gathering of your people here in a, a little while. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.